Uh, so we've been preaching through the book of Acts and finished that. And so we are away from there. We're going to start in John chapter 20. Just I want to show you where we're going so that you know uh, why I am where I am today. So in John chapter 20, that's about the resurrection. And so obviously that will be on Easter two weeks from now. If you turn back, chapters 18 and 19, we see the arrest and crucifixion and death and burial of Christ. And so that will be Good Friday. Back a chapter from that is uh, chapter 17, where we see this lengthy prayer of Jesus, uh, his longest recorded prayer that we see. We hear his heart in that, and Pastor Mark will be preaching John chapter 17 next Sunday. And so backing up to that, we come to today. Uh, I'll be preaching through chapters 13 through 16. And so we won't read through these uh, straight through. I'm going to be skipping around back and forth quite a bit. So be ready to flip back and forth within these four chapters as I draw your attention to specific verses there. Um, But what Jesus is doing is he's preparing the disciples for him departing this world. Okay? So that's what's happening. So we see here first that Jesus is leaving. All right? So if you look at chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So he's going out of the world to the Father. Chapter 14, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is saying, if I go, I am going, but I will come again. Chapter 16, verse 5. Jesus speaking again, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? So he's going yet. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you, it is to your advantage that I go away. For, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, it's actually to your advantage that I go, that I leave you. And then sixteen twenty-eight, I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So Jesus knows here that he is leaving. He knows he is departing from this world. And he now prepares the disciples for life without him. Right? Uh, he's there, there's a time ahead. It's coming very soon at this point. This is the, the last night before the night of his arrest, before his arrest and crucifixion and death the, the next day. So he is leaving very soon, and he then is, this is his last time of teaching. And so one of the main things he will show them is the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit will be with them. And so these four chapters here, 13 through 16, uh, are Jesus' interactions with his disciples. This is the end of his time with them. And so we get to hear, see their interaction, but mostly hear Jesus teaching them. This is what they need to know as he leaves them. So this is his last set of teaching, and so therefore it's significant. Significant for them, and so as we go through it, it's significant for us. And I want to just kind of summarize some of the main themes of this teaching throughout. We won't go, again, read straight through. So let's pray, 
and then we'll jump into it. Father God, we pray now that you would give us a, a longing for your word. Help us to know it and to understand it. And God, may you, by your spirit, apply it to our lives, that we may be changed more in the image of Christ and live more for his glory. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to see here is the unity of God. The unity of God, and with that, first, the unity of the Father and the Son. Now, we read of this unity of God the Father and God the Son throughout John's gospel. We see it multiple, multiple times. Turn with me to John chapter 5. We'll just look at a couple here. In John chapter 5, Jesus has healed a man, but he healed that man on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders were not very happy with him about that because it didn't follow their rules the law of work. So they aren't happy with him. Look what he says in verse 17, chapter 5. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This, is why, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus here calls him my father. In doing that, the Jews understood that he was making himself to be equal with God, right? unified with God the Father, and therefore they wanted to kill him for it, right? They took it as blasphemy. Turn to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking of those who are his, people who are his. Here's what he says in verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, there it is again, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. They are one. They are unified in every way. Now back to chapter 13. In verse 3, 13, 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. So the Father gives all things to the Son, right? The Son has come from the Father. The Son is going back to the Father. There's a unity, a oneness, connectedness. They're together in purpose, right? Chapter 14, starting in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or at least believe, else believe on the account of the works themselves. So God the Father is in God the Son. God the Son is in God the Father, right? If you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. That's how close, that's how united, that's how connected they are. Jesus speaks and acts on the Father's authority, right? Back to 16, verse 28. Jesus says, I came from the Father, and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. So again, there's this unity, this oneness of God the Father, God the Son. And we see this throughout 
John's gospel and throughout these chapters multiple times. So it's clear that the Father and the Son are one, unified, speaking the same things, doing the same work, moving with the same purpose. But then also here we see the unity of the Holy Spirit. The unity of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit also has unity with the Father and Son. We call this the Trinity. One God and three persons. So one of those times we see that is at the baptism of Jesus, right? Father, Son, Spirit. God the Father says, this is my Son, right? He's connecting himself, unified. The Spirit comes to rest on Christ. There's a unity, a togetherness, as we see the three persons of God, the Godhead, together. Turn back to chapter 14, verse 25. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Father will send the Spirit in the name of Jesus the Son. Right? We see, again, this oneness of the Godhead. They are one. They are connected. So we talk about Father, Son, Spirit, right? And that's good that we do that, and yet we must not be too quick to separate them out, right? They have different roles, but they are inseparable. One God, they cannot be divided. They can't be parted out, right? The Holy Spirit does not act or work apart from the Father and Son, right? Nor does he act apart from God's Word, which we'll see in a little bit here. So one of the major things that Jesus leaves his disciples with as he is departing from them and leaving them is the fact that God, three persons in one, is unified and inseparable. We're together. You may see me no longer, but I am one with the Father, one with the Spirit, and there's unity. They work together in unison. So the unity of God. And next we see the unity of God with his people. God is unified in himself. And he is unified in his people. We see that in the love of God. Look at verse uh, chapter 13, verse 1. We'll see. look at this again. Now before the feast of Passover, when the, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus loved them completely, fully, all the way. Right? A love of Christ. Look at chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, this is Jesus speaking, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So the perfect love of the Father for the Son is the same love that the Son, Jesus, has for you, his disciples, his followers, his people. And because of that, you are to abide in his love. You are to dwell in it. You are to make your home, set up residence in Christ's love, in God's love. Chapter 16, verse 27. For the Father himself loves you because you loved me and have believed that I came from God. So not only does Jesus the Son love you, but God the Father loves you. You don't have just the love of the son with a father who is distant and uncaring. 
You have the love of a father too, a heavenly father. You're dearly loved, loved by God. And so this love unifies you, his people, with himself. Go back to chapter 14, verse 21. Jesus says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So we see here a connect, this connection of love and obedience. Right? We also learn of the unity of God with his people. There is the love of the Father and the love of the Son. And then along with that, a reciprocated love of God from his people. Right? We love because he first loved us. There's a unity and love that's happening here between God and his people. We see God making his home, dwelling with us. We are, you are to abide in Christ. Christ abides in you. Right? A unity and connectedness. So multiple times already we've seen this language that's similar of what God does for you, how he's connected to you, and how you are to be connected to him. Right? There's a, a back and forth, this unity that's shown through the, the love of God. Also, unity of God with his people. You're united with God in Christ. So in Christ specifically. Look at chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So unity with Jesus is unity with the Father. He is the way, the one to bring you to the Father. Chapter 14, verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. So there is life in Christ. This is resurrection, right? He's going to go to the cross, but he will be raised again. There is life in Christ. And this will be vitally important for the disciples to know and to remember in the days ahead as they watch Jesus go to the cross. As they watch him take his last breath. As they see the tomb where he's been laid. They ponder the empty tomb. These are things that they need to know. God, Jesus is preparing them for the days ahead. Continue to verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. So you're connected to God through Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. There's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You're a believer in Jesus. You have been crucified with Christ. That is your old self, dead and gone. You now have new life in Christ, united with him. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 says, If you have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then verse 8, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. You are united to Christ in his death and resurrection. Colossians 3, 
Verse 3 and 4, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see this connectedness of God's people with himself through Christ? Because of this unity with Jesus, then you are to abide in him. You're to remain in him. You're the vine. He's the vine. You're the branches. Right? Father is the gardener. In verse 4, chapter 15, Jesus says, Abide in me, dwell in me, and I in you. There's a connectedness. There's a back and forth, a oneness with God through Christ. In addition, you're united with God in the Holy Spirit. United with God and the Holy Spirit. Chapter 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So here the Father will send the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Right? United through the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So in verse 26 here, who here is sending the Spirit? Jesus is, right? So before we saw the Father sends the Spirit, now we said Jesus sends the Spirit. Who is the Spirit sent from? From the Father. And who is the Spirit sent to? You, God's people, right? Father, Son, Spirit, connected with you, His people, united together as one. Chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So there it is again. I will send him. It's to your advantage, right? The Holy Spirit is God's good gift of himself to you, to us, his people. He is coming to be present among us, present with his people. God has united himself together with you. So there's unity of God in himself, and then God unites himself with us, with his people. And so throughout these four chapters, we see much of the Holy Spirit, right? Maybe more than most other places of Scripture. And so I want to take a moment to look at the role of the Holy Spirit here. The role of the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit helps, right? He is called a helper. We've seen that already. He's called that four times here in this passage. Look at chapter 14, verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will send you another helper. There's a title for the Holy Spirit, helper, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be with you. So here, this unity with the Spirit, right, as a helper, you know him, he is with you, and he is within you. Right? This is the Holy Spirit. And how long is he with you for? What does it say? How long is he with you? Forever. Right? Forever. So if you are united with God through the Holy Spirit, and part of the 
the, the role of the Spirit is that he's your helper and he'll be with you forever. You then are united with God forever. Right? Isn't that great? Forever. The Holy Spirit is a helper given to you for your benefit. Next we see that the Holy Spirit teaches. Okay? He teaches. He's called the Spirit of Truth three different times in these chapters. In chapter 16, verse 13, he says that he will guide you into all truth. So the Holy Spirit is a teacher, and he teaches you truth. He will not lie. Satan, on the other hand, is a liar and the father of lies. But the Spirit will teach the truth. He will tell you the truth. Look back again, chapter 14, and verse 26. But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is a teacher, and he's going to bring to remembrance God's word. Right? He's going to bring it to you, bring it to mind. So again here, it's important to note that the Holy Spirit does not teach or act apart from God's word. He will not tell you anything or lead you in any direction that does not line up with Scripture. Why is that so important to know that he only works through God's Word? Again, because you have an enemy who will tell you lies. And you have your own selfish desires within you that will lie to you as well. You are easily misled. And we hear this as, as pastors. We hear this type of thing not too infrequently. Here's some of the things that we hear. God told me I just need some time away from the church for a while. Well, God's word says that you're a member of the body and do not forsake the gathering together. Right? Or God told me I don't need the Old Testament. It's not important anymore. Well, God's word says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. God told me to date this unbeliever. God's word says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And might I add, don't tell me about Hosea. You're not an Old Testament prophet. Sorry to burst your bubble. These are things we hear. God told me to leave my marriage so I can be with my soulmate. Well, God's word says what, man is, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Other times, man living in unrepentant sin will come and say, God has told me to be a pastor. God's word says, be holy for I am holy. Right? These are things we hear. Other things like them. You know what these things are? They're flaming darts of the evil one. They're lies of the devil. Right? And you need the shield of faith, Ephesians chapter 6, so you can extinguish all those flaming darts of the evil one, all those lies that come at you that you think must be from the Holy Spirit, must be God telling you something. Right? They're not from the Holy Spirit. God has given you his word, And the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance his word. He acts and works and speaks and moves through his word. 
So when you're questioning, did God really say, go to his word. Let the Holy Spirit guide you in the way of truth through God's word. Look at chapter 16 and verse 15. All that the Father has is mine, Jesus says. Therefore, I said that he, the Holy Spirit, will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of God, right? Given and declared by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit teaches. Next, the Holy Spirit bears witness to Jesus. Bears witness. Look at chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. His role is to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ, to open people's minds to the gospel, to point people to Jesus, right? So that you might know Christ, that you might know who he is, that you might believe the gospel, that you might entrust yourself to him in faith. The Holy Spirit helps you to know Jesus Christ. He bears witness to Jesus. Tied into that, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He glorifies him. Chapter 16 and verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. This is what the Spirit does. He does not draw attention to himself. He does not make a big show of himself. He doesn't draw attention to you or other people to make a big show, a big deal out of them. He glorifies Jesus Christ. Everything the Holy Spirit does is to the glory of Christ that Jesus would be glorified, and when Jesus is glorified, the Father is glorified. Unity. And it's through the Word of God. Next, the Holy Spirit brings conviction. Look at chapter 16, verse 8. And when He comes, Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So when you feel convicted over your sin... That's the Holy Spirit at work within you. And most often that comes through God's Word, through hearing it, through knowing it, feeling convicted of that. The Holy Spirit does that work. And so Jesus, in his last time here with his disciples, in order to help them learn how to go through life without him as he departs, He helps them to understand these things about God, that God is united, three in one. There's a unity in God himself. And that God is united, closely knit with his people. And so as Christ departs, it's to your advantage because the Holy Spirit, God, will come to you. He will not leave you alone. He will come and be with you. So then with that, let's make some applications here. First one I want to make is marriage, application of marriage. So we've seen the unity of God with his people, right? And marriage is to be a picture of this oneness, of this unity. 
Right? Paul tells us in Ephesians that marriage is a profound mystery referring to Christ and the church. This is why it's so crucial not just to stay married, but to strive for connectedness and oneness and intimacy within your marriage. The two become one in order to reflect the relationship and unity of God and his people. That's what your marriage is about. To glorify God by being a picture of that relationship. And there are some of you here in our congregation at Pine Grove who refuse to give yourself to this. Is that you? Is that you in your marriage? Do you know why you refuse it? Because of your own selfishness. Because of your own sin. Either don't care about the glory of God in your marriage, that could be one aspect, or you become so hard-hearted and so filled with bitterness towards your spouse that you've given up and you avoid taking any steps of building intimacy. You blame your spouse for the difficulties in your marriage that you don't have to take any responsibility for it. You refuse to look at your own sin and work together with your spouse toward a spiritual bond of intimacy. You know what that's called? Sin. You know what you need if that's where you find yourself? Repentance. Turn from that sin. Turn to obedience to God's word. So in your marriage, where is your sin? Where do you have need of repentance? Unity, oneness. Next point of application is obedience. Obedience. Look at chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So abiding comes through obedience, right? Obeying God's word, following his word, the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, the greatest evidence of your unity, your being united with God is your obedience to his word. And obedience happens through the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 14, verse 31. Jesus says, But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Right? So Jesus is your example of obedience. He was obedient unto death, even on death on a cross. He followed the Father's will, the Father's command to the fullest extent. Right, to completion. This is your example. You are to do the works of Jesus. You are to live in faithful obedience in the same way. Chapter 14, verse 15. Verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jump down to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So again, love and obedience are closely tied together. Right? You can't say you love God and yet not obey his word. If you love me, you will obey my word. 
right? Love and obedience tied together and all working together to bear fruit, right? To make a difference in your life, to grow you in godliness. So out of a love for God, live a life of obedience to his word, being united with him. Next application, love one another. Love one another. Chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, Jesus says. So here you go. You want obedience? Here's a commandment. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So you are commanded to love, and the power to do that, the power to love like that comes through the Spirit, comes through being united with God in the Spirit. Continuing verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Someone lays down his life. So love is sacrificial. It's not just emotional, but it's sacrificial. It's giving oneself up. And of course, we know the greatest display of that, the greatest act of that was Christ sacrificing himself on the cross, laying down his life for you, for your sin, for the sin of the world. But this is the type of love that you are to imitate that you are to have. So as a parent, exercising love means sacrificing yourself for your kids. It means letting your emotional tie go to a certain point so that you can do what's best for them. Right? In marriage, sacrificing yourself in love for your spouse, giving yourself up for that person. In the church, Sacrifice yourself for the benefit of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Giving up your wants, giving up your desires, taking some hits, taking some pain, losing some sleep for the benefit of others, right? for their good. This is what God has called you to, and this is what he's commanded you to do. Loving others means sacrificing yourself for them. Look at verse 13, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give you. Here it is again, continuing command. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So love is to be a distinguishing characteristic of followers of Christ. Right? If you want to follow Christ... Your life should be characterized by love, by sacrificial love for others. And then along with that, this is your nonverbal witness of Christ to a lost world. This is how unbelievers will see you and know that you are a follower of Christ because you love God's people really well. So not only are you united with God, but you are also united with other believers. That's what the church is about. That's why the church is so important. That's why our gathering here every Sunday is so important, because we love one another well. It's a display to the world. That's why, though there's some value to the live stream and to watching preaching over video, it's not sufficient for the church, because God has called us to be together and to 
love one another, to be in relationship with one another. And so if you're a consistent live streamer, let me speak to you and exhort you to stop and get, to, get here to church. This is where you should be in loving relationships with God's people. This is the unity that we hear about of God with his people and his people together. You are to love one another well. So for you, where do you need repentance here? Where do you need to repent of your lack of love for those around you, in your home, and in the church? So again, tied with love, love for one another, we see that we are to be witness, witnesses. So here's another application to be witnesses. We just saw that, chapter 13. Flip over to chapter 15, verse 26. Chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So there's a witness for the disciples themselves who have been with Christ, but there's a witness for us as well. We are to be witnesses for Christ to the world. Right? This is the unity of the Holy Spirit and you also bearing witness, both bearing witness. You are to be a witness for Christ to this world through the Holy Spirit who is with you. So do you want to know the best evangelistic program that Pine Grove can put together? Do you, do you wonder what that is? It's to love each other really, really well. To love each other really, really well in your marriage. Parents to their children, children to their parents, in our neighborhood small groups, in the church as a whole with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Loving each other really well. And the world will see it. People in Rhinelander will see it. They'll see Christ in the quality of your love for one another. That's what we see here, right? That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Right? They'll know you're Christians by your love, love for one another. Next application, prayer. Prayer, chapter 14 and verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Report chapter 15 and verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So you are to ask and it will be done for you. Why? Because you're asking in the Spirit. Right? Because you are united with God in the Spirit, therefore, what you ask is in line with the Father's will. This doesn't happen when you are apart from Christ, apart from His Spirit, and doing your own thing. That's called selfishness, right? Give me what I want. That's not what he's talking about here. When you ask apart from God, you're asking outside of the Father's will. If you're connected with God in His Word, 
right? Then your requests, your asking is in line with the Father's will, and he will grant that. So if you want to grow in your prayer life and seeing God answer prayers, continue to grow in your unity with him, in your unity with Christ, in your unity through the Holy Spirit, your connectedness to his word. Grow in his word and your, your knowledge of it and your understanding of it. Continue to fellowship with God and his people and grow together. Prayer. All right, next application. Hatred and persecution. Uh-oh. Were you ready for that this morning? Hatred and persecution. Look at chapter 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus again. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. For all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. So there's a united hatred here, right? The world hates the father, the world hates the son, therefore the world hates you because you're united with the son and with the father. The world will hate you. Unity with Christ brings hatred and persecution from the world because you bear the name of Jesus on account of my name, he said. And notice what it says here. It doesn't say that the world will just ignore you, right? It doesn't say that the world will just dislike you and not get along with you, but you are hated by the world. Notice the extent to which this hatred goes. Look at chapter 16. Verse 2. Here's the extent to which it goes. Chapter 16, verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues, out of the places of worship. Indeed, the hour, the time is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. So Jesus says to his disciples, murder is coming. They murdered Jesus, of course we know. They will murder you, Jesus tells his disciples. Hopefully that doesn't happen for anyone here, but it could. The world hates because they do not have the Holy Spirit. They are not not united with God. They are separated from God. Therefore, they hate God and they hate God's people. Look at chapter 16, verse 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So there's this association with Jesus brings persecution and scattering. So are you ready for that? 
Are you prepared for that to come here into our church, into your life? So there's hatred and persecution from the world, but in spite of that, last point of application, do not fear. Do not fear. Chapter 14, verse 1. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Chapter 14, verse 27. Peace, I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Chapter 16, verse 1. 16, 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So in other words... Hatred and persecution are coming, but stay strong in faith. Do not fall away. Don't depart from this unity with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Remain united with him. Abide in me, Jesus says. Do not fear. Live for God and his glory. Last thing to see this morning, there is victory. There is victory. Look at chapter 14, verse 30. Chapter 14, verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, Jesus says, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Right? Jesus is Lord of all. Right? Even his death on the cross, when the devil came and did his work, even then the devil had no claim on Jesus. Right? The devil displayed his power, but he was not in control. Yes, Satan will attack. He will do his evil work, but it's all within the realm of God's sovereign plan. And Jesus was walking right in line with the Father's will. Satan's work is hemmed in. It's boxed up within God's command. So do not fear. There is victory. Look at chapter 16, verse 20. Truly, truly I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Jesus is looking ahead. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has, ba- uh, uh, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. There is sorrow now, but it will not last. Your sorrow will turn to joy. Why? Because though Christ departs, though he dies, there is resurrection. There is life again. Jesus says, you will see me. You will have life in my name. And what joy. And finally, last thing, turn to chapter 16, verse 33. Here's the last verse of, these, of this passage, of this section. Verse 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so Jesus has won the victory. He has final victory. And we experience that victory. We live within that victory as we remain united with God and as we abide in Christ. And so that's what we are to do. Let's pray. Father God, we do look to you. Thank you that you have united us to yourself in 
Christ. And God, thank you for these things we have seen here. Prepare us to live more in this world. Um, as we know, there is trouble in this world. So God, help us not to fear. Help us to apply the things we've learned this morning to our lives, that we may live more for your glory in line with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.